How's everyone doing tonight? Doing good? You guys want, you can grab a seat. Let's go. So I know we already asked this, but it's in my notes. I'm going to ask you again. Did you have a good time at retreat? Come on. Amazing weekend. If you missed out, do not fret. There's more winter retreats. There's a fall retreat coming up in September. It's going to be amazing. Put it on your calendar now. It's somewhere in the teens of September. I think it's like 12th through the 14th or something like that. So put that on your calendar. Um, yeah, so or if you're new tonight, we just want to say thank you for coming. We're so glad you're here. We're so glad that you would choose to be a part of our community, even if it's for one night. But as always, my prayer is that it wouldn't just be one night, but that you would find uh, or just a home here in Kyle, and that you would uh, dive into our community. So tonight we're kicking off a, a dating and relationships series called A Beautiful Design. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. Let's go. Let's go. And we're going to spend three weeks on this. We're just going to be talking about God's design for love, dating, and marriage, and, and just outlining a, or a pathway to healthy dating that then leads to a healthy marriage. So the reason that, that we titled this series A Beautiful Design is as we look to the scriptures, we see that God's design for marriage and sexuality is just that. It's absolutely beautiful. It's something that each of us should just marvel at because God knew what he was doing when he set up marriage at the very beginning. Like we don't need to apologize for it. We don't need to attempt to change it. Instead, we should marvel and praise God for his creativity and his knowledge and, and his wisdom when he set up marriage at the very beginning. So if you've been around Chi Alpha for some time, you've heard a story or two about my elementary girlfriends. I share a lot of stories about those. There's like 30 of them, so there's a lot of stories to share. And so last week, I was listening to the audio after service, like I always do, and I noticed that I said I had boyfriends and girlfriends. So I just want to correct that. I only had girlfriends. Uh, so I deleted it out of the audio so no one knows who listened online, but I said that. So I just want to make that clear. Uh, and tonight, <laughs> I have another story for you. So, so when I was in second grade, yeah, second grade, I got myself into a bind. Uh, there were two nice girls that I wanted to call, or call my girlfriend, two girls that I wanted to date at the same time. And they were best friends, so, and I just couldn't choose between the two of them. So I devised a way not to choose. I simply asked them both to be my girlfriend. They were both sitting there, say, can, or can we just like all date or something? And it was some second grade polygamy. They said yes, and I dated two girls at once. I was a stud. Sitting on the playground, I can remember this. I'm not kidding you. Sitting on the playground, my arm around both of them, like, so. And this only lasted for an afternoon, as they both realized, yeah, it stunk. <laughs> and they both realized that it's not very fun to have a romantic relationship that's not the way that God designed it to be, which is between a guy and a girl who are devoted to each other, not two girls and a guy. And uh, so something just didn't feel right to them, and they didn't want to twist God's design. Thank God. I wouldn't have been able to handle that. I think I ended up just choosing one of them, by the way. I'm just, such a jerk in second grade. I was like, I'll just choose you. The other one, sorry. But anyways, <laughs> we can be guilty of twisting God's design for our relationships through a couple different ways. We can do it through acting like we're married to our boyfriend or girlfriend. We can do it through having sexual relationships outside of marriage. We can do it through looking at pornography, through not being faithful to our spouse. We don't have too many, or too many married people in here, but, but that's another way that you can do it. And, and another way is to get divorced. So these are all ways that, or that we twist God's design for relationships. And I recognize that each of us come from 
different backgrounds. There's different opinions in here about sexuality. There's difference of, or difference of opinion about you know, what's right, what's wrong on this topic. And I just want to say at the very beginning of this series that, that my intention over these three weeks is not to be explosive or to feed into the explosive arguments that you see on Facebook about this kind of stuff. But instead, I just want to look to the scriptures and say, God, what do you have for us? Like, that's the thing, guys. I'm chained to this. Like, I'm chained to the truth of God's scripture. So what you hear in here, sometimes you won't like it. That's just the way it is. But I hope you like that about Kai Alpha. We're not going to tell you something that's not true from the scripture. So tonight what I'm going to do, we're not going to get into what's wrong. That's the thing. We won't do that. I'm not going to sit here and say, this kind of relationship is wrong, this kind of relationship is wrong, this kind of relationship is wrong. I won't do that. Like, I'm not going to sit here and hate on people or, or make people feel shameful for their struggle and I have my own, okay? But instead what we'll do is we'll talk about what God's design is and say, this is beautiful. We'll say, this is God's design. These are the parameters. And it's a beautiful thing that should be marveled at. So if you're in here and, and you don't agree with what the Bible says about sexuality, I want to tell you this is a safe place. I'm not going to sit in here or sit up here and, and bash on you or anything like that. We're just going to say this is what God's design is. So let's just pray because i got to get my thoughts straight. Jesus, I pray that you would just be in this room. I pray that this would just be an amazing night as we look at your word and see your design for, for relationships and see your design for, for, what, for what you have for us, Lord. I pray that each person in this room, that, that there would just be a peace in our hearts as we look at your design. And God, I pray that if we're you know, kind of missing the mark, I pray that you would just ease our hearts and show us that there's forgiveness found in you. And God, I pray that, that each person in this room would just be able to see that you're so, you're so wise and, and you're so knowledgeable and you set this design up for a reason. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So as we embark on this journey of exploring God's design for love, dating, marriage, and sexuality, and as you consider dating and trying to find a spouse, we need to really consider this question. Throw it up on the screen here. Here's the question. Am I the person that the person I'm looking for is looking for? Am I the person that the person, the person I'm looking for is looking for? Or if you're married, am I the spouse that my spouse desires? So we need to become the one before we can ever hope to find the one. So if you're coming in here and you're hoping to find the perfect spouse, but you're not, or but you're not willing to change yourself, then this will be a disappointment to you because I'm going to be focusing on you, like not on you finding the perfect one. So this series is devoted to helping us become the person that God has called us to be so that we can date in a godly way and be a healthy partner in a marriage. So tonight, maybe you're sitting here and you want to get married soon or you don't want to get married for a long time. Or maybe you're already married. Or maybe you're in a dating relationship and it's not healthy. Like you're in a dating relationship and you know that it's not healthy. And I pray tonight that you would just reconsider that relationship. So no matter where you are, I think our talk will benefit you. Even if you want to be single for your whole life. Tonight we're going to try to just understand true love. Or the love that goes the distance. And by the time we walk out, I think we'll have a better understanding of it. So if you... Just have your Bibles turn with me to 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 12. It's going to be up on the screen as well. It says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. 
In this is love. Not that, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, then we also ought to love one another. And no one has ever seen God. If we love each other, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So this is the word. The Apostle John says that, or calls us to love one another because love is from God. If we are truly children of God, then we will love because it's who God is at his very essence. God is love. So as his children, we should reflect our Father. In verse 8, he says, If you do not love, then you do not know God because God is love. And God shows us his love. He demonstrates this is what love is through sending his own Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So if God loved us, this is what John's saying. He says, you better love each other. That's what John's saying here tonight. So the statement, God is love, tells us a lot about who God is and what he's been up to for all of eternity. In Christianity, we believe that God is Trinity. There's only one God who's one in essence, but there's three persons. So there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God. God is Trinity. And one of the reasons that God is Trinity is because God is love. If God wasn't Trinity, then he wouldn't be able to love because love is others-orientated. So for all of eternity, God has been loving, or been loving within himself through, or through the three persons of the Trinity. So God is loving and serving. It's kind of weird. The Trinity is weird. I'm trying to explain it. God is, or the three persons of the Trinity are loving and serving each other for all of eternity. That's why in Christian religion, God is Trinity. Because God is love, and if God is love, there has to be someone to love. He couldn't just sit and just love himself for all of eternity. So for all of eternity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit have been loving and serving each other. And, and theologians call this the dance of God. Like the Trinity has been dancing, loving, serving each other, perfectly content in and of themselves. They don't need anyone else. But out of the goodness of, or but out of, the goodness of God, he decided that he wanted to extend his dance or his love to us. So he created us to join in on the dance, to jump in the dance, and to, and to mutually love and serve with God. So God loves and serves us with all that he has, and in return we love and serve him with all, with all that we have. Guys, we need to get this if we're going to understand or truly understand love. God is love, and we were created to join in on that and to love him and also to extend it to others. So despite the intimacy that each of us get to share with God, if you're in Christ, in this amazing dance that each of us get to partake in, when God created us, he, or he recognized that, that some of us need a human companion. It says that, that we shouldn't be alone. It's not good for us to be alone. We needed a relationship that, that can reflect the love and service that God has had within himself for all of, the, for all of eternity. So... Out of his love, God wanted to give us a human bond that actually reflects the Trinity. So let's read about this. In the very first book of the Bible, God sets up the first marriage in Genesis 2, verse 18, then verses 21 through 25. This is what he says. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So the, lower, or so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed it up, it closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into, into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. 
and shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. So as you see, we were created and wired to desire this marriage relationship. Although God does call some to stay single, and that's an honorable thing to stay single, the Bible champions that. So if you're choosing to stay single, like, guys, that's amazing. That's an incredible thing. But God offers to each of us the opportunity to be in a Trinity-reflecting relationship called marriage. God created marriage to hold this bond that's stronger than any other human relationship. In marriage, just like the Trinity, two people just love and serve each other and put the other person first for their entire lifetimes. So throughout this series, we're going to talk about how to prepare ourselves for this powerful relationship called marriage. And also how to just honor God throughout this journey of heading towards marriage, throughout our dating relationship. So if you aren't seeking marriage or you don't plan to marry, I think this series will still help you because the love that's shown in marriage doesn't just apply to marriage. It also is a call for each of us to love each other to, or to lay down our lives for other people. So 1 John 3, 16, I love this verse. It says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to also lay down our lives for the brothers. That's the call for each person. So if you're not planning on getting married, I still think this series will speak to you because we're going to talk about how God calls us to love one another as well. So the main idea tonight is this. So we're desired to love through laying down our lives for others and for some one specific person in the marriage relationship. And the title of this sermon is, it's part one of this series and it's called Designed to Love. God created us to love. So the word love is a juncture word in our language. We say, hey, I love God and I love the Chicago Cubs. We say, I love chocolate and I love McDonald's. We say these different things and, and obviously, hopefully, we should love God more than we love McDonald's, I would hope. It's a juncture word. We use it for everything. We say, oh, I love Chi Alpha. And then we say, oh, I love to read. You know, just these, it's or such a various amount of things that, that each of us can claim to love. Because of this being such a juncture word, there's some misconceptions in our culture just about, or just about what love is. So there's two that I'm going to point out tonight. And there's probably more, but the first one's this, this idea that to love is to tolerate, or love is tolerance. To some in our culture, this is what love is. Like, you do you, I'll do me. I don't have an opinion about, about what's right or wrong in our culture. Like, you live your life, I live my life. And this definition of love just makes it a passive thing. Or it says, if you're to love, then you should not say that something is sinful or, or wrong. And according to Jesus, this is not an adequate definition for love. Of course, there is some truth to this idea. There's always some truth to wrong ideas. So the truth in this idea is this. We shouldn't judge others. We shouldn't become self-righteous. We shouldn't be hypocritical. We shouldn't be hateful towards people who struggle with something different than us. But still, it falls short as a good, or, or a good definition of love. Because love is never passive. Intolerance is passive at its core. It's, it's this idea that you just sit by while other people do their thing and you do your thing. But guys, love is not just sitting idly by as people make poor decisions. Guys, love is not practicing your, or it's practicing your religion privately and watching everyone else go to hell. You can tweet that one. That's not love. Guys, love in its pure sense calls us to sacrifice ourselves for other people. And sometimes this means sacrificing what people think of you. So Ephesians 4.15, I, 
just happened to read Ephesians 4 this morning in my Bible reading plan, and I thought these two verses, I'm going to read two of them, just really stuck out. So Paul is just writing to a church, and he's explaining them how to be the church. So he says, he says rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up, or grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So he says, speaking the truth in love. So sometimes speaking the truth is to love. But our culture tells us don't speak the truth because you're not going to be loving if you do that. No, Paul says speak the truth in love. You can do both. Like you can also speak the truth in hate. That's true. Guys, we can speak the truth in hate, but Paul says speak the truth in love. And verse 25 says, therefore having put away falsehood, then let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So speak the truth, or speak the truth with your neighbor. Don't give in to falsehoods. That's what Paul says. So throw this up on the screen. Love calls us to accept people right where they are, but also calls us to encourage them not to stay that way by gently pointing them to Jesus. I think that's a better idea of love than love being tolerance. The second misconception is this, and this is a big one. It's this idea that love is the passion that you have for things and people that just make you happy. To some, love is passion for a thing. I love reading. I love hiking. I love music. Those things bring us happiness or excitement, so we say we love them. This definition says you love whatever brings you happiness. And we carry the same idea to our love for people. I love this person because they bring me happiness and excitement, because they make me feel alive. However, what happens when that person stops making you feel happy? Do you stop loving the person? According to these definitions, love is just an emotion. Our roles are passive, and love kind of happens to us. And this is where we get the phrase, I fell in love. It just happens to you. Someone brings you so much happiness and butterflies and good feelings that you fall into love with them. The question we have to ask ourselves, though, is this. Is this really the kind of love that Jesus calls us to when he commands us to love one another? Does this kind of love line up with Jesus' definition? What happens when the emotions go away? Does Jesus give you a free pass on, on just not loving people because they made you mad? Or they didn't bring you happiness or joy? And what if you're married? What if you fall, or fall out of love in marriage? Are you justified in leaving that person in divorce? Obviously not. Guys, marriage is death to us part. And according to Jesus, marriage is two people becoming one flesh. So Jesus would never want us to break this union simply based on our, on our emotions. Our emotions are fleeting, guys. We can't make decisions based upon our emotions. So to Jesus, love is more of what you do than how you feel. Can I get an amen? Because love is more of what you do than how you feel. He commands us to love one another, to love our enemies, to love our neighbors. This obviously cannot be based off an emotion. Jesus doesn't command us to feel something, say, hey, get butterflies in your stomach. That's kind of hard to do. But Jesus commands us to do something. So here's another thing I want to throw on the screen. So love is more than, or than emotional passion. Love is the resolve to continually lay down your life for someone or something. And John echoes this idea in 1 John 3, 16 again. Let's read it again. By this we know love, that Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to also lay down our lives for the brothers. Then in chapter 4, verse 10, in this is love, not that 
Or not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So love is Jesus on a cross. If you want to know what love is, look at Jesus hanging on a cross for you. That's love. Come on, church. We've got to get love right. We can't get this definition twisted. Because love is laying down your life for someone else. If you want to get married, then you have to prepare yourself to love someone even when they're difficult. There's like two married people in here. Can I get an amen? No, not my wife, though. Don't be amen in that. So even when they irritate you, even when the feelings aren't there, even when life gets tough, you're still called to love them and to be committed to them. So we can't expect romantic euphoria to, or to motivate our love and marriage because, guys, the butterflies will go away at times. I promise. If you're dating right now, you're dating for two months, and you're like, oh, I just feel so good. No, it'll go away, I promise. It'll come back at times, too. It's going to take a little more work. We can't let romantic euphoria just fuel our love. That's not going to last. We need commitment. We need gospel-centered commitment that says, Jesus laid down his life for me, so I'll lay down my life for my wife or for my husband or for my neighbor. We need that. So C.S. Lewis wrote this incredible book called The Four Loves. I love this book. And he spends an entire book defining the four Greek words for love. So love is a junk drawer word in our language. Like love kind of means the same thing all over the place. We use it for all these different types of things. But in the Greek language, which is the language that the Bible was written in, there's four different types of love. And I think C.S. Lewis's explanation is actually going to really help us to understand just what true love is and what it looks like. So there's four, or four different words. The first one is storge, which is affection or family love. And there's phileo, which is friendship love. There's eros, which is sexual love. Or romantic love. There's agape love, which is selfless or godly love. So storge is affection, family love. We'll start with that one. So our storge love is most commonly referred to as the love between family members. It's the love that a parent has for a child or, or that two siblings have for each other. It can be the love that, that owners have for their pets. It's the love that typically grows through most, or most strongly through becoming familiar with someone or something. Storge love is affection. It's affection that grows for something familiar in your life. And it becomes this deep appreciation for a person despite their weaknesses and flaws. Because they're family, y'all. Come on, you got to deal with all the struggles they have. And you still love them, even if you would never hang out with them if they weren't family. Because they're familiar to you. You have this affection, this deep appreciation for them. So Lewis says that affection is the most generous of the loves. Even the people who seem unlovable can be the object of affection. It ignores the barriers of age and sex and class and education. It's the, there's a love seen between a dog and a man, or man and a cat. It's the kind of love that, that's me, that grows just by becoming familiar with someone or something. Each of us have felt affection for someone or something in our lives. It just asks you to be familiar, or to be familiar with someone or something. So when you couple friendship love, which we'll talk about in a second, or with this affectionate love, it becomes the love that someone has for an old friend. This old friend you've had forever since kindergarten. It's that affection and, and phileo love. It's powerful. If you couple affection with erotic love, it becomes more than just sexual or 
or romantic chemistry, but it's a deep appreciation for the other person. It goes beyond just this romantic euphoria. If you couple affectionate love with godly love, it's the kind of love that pushes a parent to lay down their life for their child. But affectionate love on its own is not just, or it's not really a powerful kind of love. It's just the love you feel for that house you, or that house you grew up in. It's the love you feel for the people you graduated with. Like, you don't know why, but you just appreciate them. Even the ones that were kind of mean to you. It's just that familiar thing. You've just known them since second grade. So, of course, you've got to love them. There's a love you have for your great aunt that comes around once a year at Thanksgiving. You don't even really know her, but you see her. So, it's more powerful or when it's accented with other kinds of love. So, affectionate love on its own will not go the distance. When that person that you feel familiar with starts to change, you may become hostile to that change. How many of you have become hostile to a change in your family? Yeah, let's go. Look at you, brave souls. Raising your hand. So when that person grows past you, you might become jealous or bitter towards them. When that person you feel affection for doesn't need you anymore, you may shut that person out. So we need to have more than affection to have healthy relationships. So, so another danger of affection that C.S. Lewis points out is it's just such a built-in and naturally grown love that it can cause you to not try with those who you have affectionate love for, okay? So like the old married couple at Perkins that just bickers the whole time, you know what I'm talking about. It's because they're so just used to each other, they don't try to lay down their lives for each other anymore. It can be dangerous when you just rely on affectionate love. So the point I'm making is affectionate love falls short on its own. We need something more than that. So let's go to the second one, phileo love, friendship love. Friendship love is the love that two friends have. It's the strong bond between people who share common values, interests, or activities. It's different from the other loves. It's the least natural, instinctive, biological, and necessary. It's not a necessary kind of love. There's nothing about it that quickens your pulse or, tor- or turns you pale, okay? Like friendship love doesn't get you all excited when your friend shows up. It's just that, it's just that moment when two people agree, hey, like we enjoy the same things, we enjoy being around each other, let's just do this together. And we don't need friendship love for survival. So without sexual love, like none of us would have been born. Come on, somebody. There had to be something that happened at some point. But phileo love, is, or it's not needed for survival. You don't need that. And without affection, you all would, or each of us would have been left at the hospital because the parents would be like, oh, whatever. But phileo love, it, or it's just not needed for survival. Our species has no inherent need for friendship love. We don't need it to, or to reproduce or to watch out for our family. But for this very reason, it was actually exalted by ancient peoples because they said it's the love that's freely chosen. It's the love that people choose to have for someone else. It's the love that just forms between two people who have, or just have no need for each other, but they respect each other and they feel that their life is better with the other person in it. Friendship is a love where we get to choose the people. Affectionate love, you don't get to choose crazy great aunt, all right? Friendship love, you get to choose that. So, so sexual and romantic and affectionate love are too influenced by, our, by like, how we feel. But friendship is a choice of two, or two equal persons who just have no need for each other and they want to go on a journey. It's a deeply appreciative love. It's, 
It's birthed out of two people just saying, I appreciate you and I want to spend time with you and do this life with you. Does anyone have friendship love for anyone in this room? I see some of you like holding hands, have your arms crossed, that kind of fun stuff. Friendship love in this room. Come on. Friendship love is amazing. We, guys, we need more of these in our life. That's why we have small groups. We need people who we can go on a journey with. We need people who have common interests and are in a similar place in life who can spur us on, especially the Christian life. We need friends. We need to hang out with people who are pursuing Christ with us. We need each other. And in our romantic relationships, we need to place more value on friendship love. We don't just choose someone because they're hot, all right? Don't do that anymore, people. I was going to say ladies, but it's guys too. More guys probably. Don't choose the guy with big abs, or not big abs, big guns. <laughs> choose someone who you actually have the same interest with. So if you're really smart, you should probably choose someone who's smart. You're going to get real bored talking about stuff with a person who has no idea what's going on. Choose people who you enjoy being around. And this applies to this idea that some have that say, hey, I'll missionary date. Anybody in this room? You don't have to raise your hand. That'd be awkward. But saying, I'll date this person who's not a Christian, expecting them to give their life to Christ. I'm just going to say it here. That's the dumbest thing you could ever do. If your boyfriend or girlfriend does not love Jesus now, they won't love Jesus in the future. Nine times out of ten. Guys, we need to choose people who are on the same path as us. So, girls, if you're in a small group, choose a guy who's in a small group. It doesn't have to be in Chi Alpha, okay? Like, I don't want everyone to date each other. That gets weird when everyone's cuddling during service, okay? I don't enjoy that. So don't do that, please. But choose someone who's on the same journey as you, who's pursuing Christ with you. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. It's plain and simple. If you're dating someone who's not a follower of Jesus, guys, you're outside of the will of God. I'll say it. You're outside of the will of God. And every time when you come and ask me, should I date this person? I'll say no. So you can guess how I feel if your boyfriend or girlfriend's not a Christian. Just got really real in here. I'm not thinking of anyone specifically, I promise. I'm just saying, like, that's a principle. So date your friends, marry your friends, marry someone who's on the same path as you, and marry someone who is just as passionate about Jesus as you are. Please, there are so many older women in churches who come to church by themselves and their husband stays at home. Girls, please don't be that lady because you made a dumb decision when you were 25. Please, I don't want to see you pursue Jesus by yourself. It's typically girls that do that. I don't see it a lot of times with guys. If you wait and if you're patient, the right guy will come along. I promise. Take that to the bank. Unless Jesus is calling you to be single, and you better listen to that. So some dangers of friendship love is, the first thing is clickiness. With friendship love, we can be tempted to exclude other people. When we find our little clique of friends who have common interests, we can be tempted to have our crowd and push other people out. For some reason... This pushing of other people out kind of makes your friendships feel more legitimate. Like, this is the end group right here. It makes you feel superior to the people you're pushing out. But this is an anti-Christian sentiment. As Christians, each of us should be making room for, or for more people all the time, even if you don't enjoy being around them. Guys, make room for more people. And another danger of friendship love is it can, or is it can make bad behavior 
seem normal. So 1 Corinthians 15, 33, says, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. If we surround ourselves with people who, are, who just are okay with sin and not pursuing Jesus, then we'll be tempted to not pursue Jesus as well. It's a simple principle. Guys, it doesn't mean you don't ever associate with sinners or people who aren't in the church, but it means you don't have those people in your closest inner circle who are speaking into your life. Bad company ruins good morals. Despite these dangers, friendship love is great. We should all seek out great friends. And to, or tomorrow and Thursday in small groups, all we're going to talk about is friendship. Please go. It's going to be an amazing night. It's a great small group lesson. I think you'll really enjoy it. But we're just talking about just how each of us need friends in our lives who are pursuing Jesus with us. We need to pursue other kinds of love along with friendship love, though. Because friendship love on its own can be good in some ways, but it kind of misses that godly element of love. When that person becomes interested in other things, and you're like, ah, oh, you're on a different path now, so go away. Or that person does something that upsets you. Women in this room, when someone, like for some reason with guys, we can fight, and we're like, all right, we're back together, like two minutes later. Girls, you hold on to something, you're like, oh, you offended me, and then you don't be friends. And that's when friendship love is on its own, because you're like, hey, you offended me, you're not on the same path as me now, go away. But if you can couple it with godly love, then it'll then it will encourage you to stick it out when it gets hard. All right, so now let's go to the third kind of love. Am I still on? Yeah. Eros love. It's romantic or sexual love. That's why you all came tonight, so we'll talk about it. Let's go. Eros. It's the kind of love that is being in love with someone. It's the feeling you get. It's those butterflies you get for the special someone. It's the thing that makes you look at your phone over and over again. It says, did he text me back? Like You saw that he saw it like two seconds ago. So did he text me back? No, he hasn't. He better start typing or that boy's in trouble. Or guys, you do it too. Come on, I know. I talk to you guys throughout the week. You guys are waiting for that text from that girl. Like, please text me, girl. And let me say something. If you keep texting her over and over again, she's not responding, it's time to let it go, okay? Can I get an amen about that, ladies? All right. Eros is sexual desire. But it's also more than that. See, sexual desire without this eros love can be just wanting sex. Just saying, I want sex. But eros love wants the person. And not just any person. It wants that specific person. It's this infatuation with that one person. You don't care who's all around. You want that one person because you have eros love for that person. That's what true, true love is. That's what true eros love is. When you get overwhelmed with this kind of love, it's the, the lover desires the beloved herself, not just the pleasure she can give you. So if your boyfriend just wants the pleasure that you can give, kick him to the curb. Come on. If he just wants sex, kick him out. Come on, ladies. We need to be firm. So one night stands are not embodied with Eros love, and that's why you feel terrible afterwards. It was just about taking care of a biological need. That's not love. That's just sexual desire. So if you're looking for hookups to fill that hole for love in your heart, then you're going to continue to miss it. You're going to continue to miss what you're longing for. for. That person does not want you. I'll say it to you. Speaking the truth in love, that person does not want you. They want the pleasure that you can bring. They don't truly have Eros love for you. Eros love is a beautiful thing when it's inside marriage and it's unadulterated by sin. It's this romantic feeling that two lovers get for each other. And it's a feeling that should come to its fullest expression 
inside of marriage on a husband and wife's wedding night. Do not awaken Eros love too soon. It's only going to hurt you, and I'll talk more about that in a few weeks. God knows that sexual love is a powerful force. It's so powerful when you bind yourself to someone else, you become one flesh with that person. And God wanted to protect you from the hurt that comes when you break that apart by placing this kind of love inside the covenant of marriage between one man and one woman who are committed to each other for a lifetime. Don't awaken this kind of love just for anyone. Only awaken this kind of love for the person that commits to be with you for better or for worse, for sickness and in health. The person that's not going to leave you when things get tough. See, God sets up his laws and his rules for our good. He knows if you just have sex with everybody, then you're going to be very hurt. But he says that kind of love can only take place inside of marriage, in this commitment. It's both legal and it's spiritual. It's this commitment saying, I'm going to stick it out no matter what happens. God knows what he's doing. That's the point of the series, all right? So the danger with this kind of love is idolizing it. So guys tend to just idolize, oh, I need to meet the lady that fulfills my dreams, makes me feel good. She's got to be pretty. She's got to stay amazing, you know, looking good. Girls, on the other hand, says, I need a guy who's just Prince Charming. Like, he'll just lay down for me all the time, get me roses every day. And you idolize these romantic feelings. And then, or when things get tough, you're like, oh, I don't know how I'm feeling anymore about this. Because my husband's not perfect. He's not Prince Charming. Or guys are like, hey, my lady's gaining a few pounds. I don't know why I think about this anymore. We cannot idolize this kind of love. That's the danger of it. We know that sex is an idol in our culture. That's easy to say. I don't need to explain that. So many people who are married leave their spouse because these feelings of love leave, but it can't be, or can't be built on that. It's got to be built on the love of God and the love of self-sacrifice. So that leads me to the last point tonight. Or not point, the last kind of love. There's no points tonight, by the way. It's different. All right, anyways. Agape, godly, selfless, or selfless love. Finally, we come to what it's all about. Agape love, the love that the biblical authors talk about most. This kind of love does something. It's not just a feeling. It's not being affectionate. Oh, I love my grandma. She's been around for a while. A friendship love. Oh, I love this person because they like to play with cars with me, like Hot Wheels. Some of you in this room. Or I love this person because they make me get it kind of excited. You know what I'm saying? Come on. That's what those other three kind of, or kind of loves can be when you don't have it coupled with this kind of love. So Lewis calls us to make the other three kind of, or kinds of love subordinate to this kind of love. We need agape love to characterize all of our, all of our love. So agape love coupled with affectionate love Cause the mother to lay down her life for her child, as I said earlier. When it's coupled with friendship, it calls a friend to love like Jesus, even when the friend is disappointing you. Like if you're saying, my friend's just not meeting my needs, or they don't care enough about me, that's not Jesus' kind of love, okay? So stop being bitter because your friend's not perfect and love them well. And, a, and then agape love coupled with eros love is the kind of love that calls a wife to love her husband even when he gets old and wrinkly and cannot serve her in the way that he once did. Like he's not as crazy romantic as he used to be. And for the guy, like when that woman's not looking too good anymore, that's what 
or agape love is what keeps it going. So if we're going to have truly successful relationships and love the way that Christ loved, then we need to get this agape love. And the other loves will fickle, they'll fade away if they're not coupled with agape love. So let's read these three verses here. These are foundational. Get these verses. John 13, 34. It says, a, or it says, a new commandment I give to you, that you agapao one another, just as I have agapao you. And you also are to agapao one another. That's the Greek word that the writer's using there. By this we know agape, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to also lay down our lives for the brothers. In this is agape, not that, or not that we have agapao God, but that he agapao us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So Lewis believes, and I concur with him, that agape love is the greatest of all the loves. It's a love that doesn't rely on feelings, common interests, or attraction, but it's the kind of love that does something. It's the kind of love that keeps going even when it's hard. In any great marriage, all these loves will be present. But before we can head down this path towards marriage, we need to allow the love of God to transform us into someone who loves when it's hard. If you do not know how to lay down your life for someone, then you are not ready for marriage, and you better not date. We need to get this. That's why our relationships are blowing up, because you don't understand how to love like Jesus does, and that's what marriage is, to love like Jesus does every stinking day of your life. We need to get this before we head down this path. So if you're not there yet, please wait. Pump the brakes. Wait to date. Don't just date someone because they look cute and they asked you out and you're excited about it. Say, hey, I need to figure this out first. I need to be ready for marriage. God calls us to show this, or this agape love to our neighbors. So that's everyone. He calls us to lay down our life for everyone, our neighbors. And we have to learn to love our neighbor before we can love a spouse. Like, your neighbor is going to irritate you a lot less than your spouse does. Like, my wife, I love her so much. There's no one who can give me more romantic feelings or get me more excited emotionally, okay, than my wife. But she's the most irritating person on the planet as well. And she'll say the same thing about me. That's the truth. We irritate each other so much, but then it ends with love in the end, okay? Because we had made this commitment to lay down our lives for each other. So learn to love your neighbor before you're going to try to get a spouse. Come on, somebody. So here's my little pathway for you as you're pursuing marriage. Get this stuff. Choose to, lose, or to use each of these loves as a guidepost. So first, like I said, become a person that has agape love for God and for your neighbor. If you do that, then you're setting yourself up good. Then ask yourself, am I the person that the person I'm looking for is looking for? Consider that. If you're not there yet, then maybe you shouldn't date. Secondly, find someone of the opposite sex who you have a friendship love with and get to know them more. If you can't be friends, then it wouldn't be a good idea to marry them. So pick someone who you enjoy being around. Me and Emily were friends far before we started dating. We enjoy being with each other. We'd find excuses to study together because we enjoyed being with each other. And there was no like romance or anything going on. It was just friendship. Find someone who... Find someone who you have that friendship love with and then consider asking them out for a date. And guys, that's on you. So step up. Buck up, boys. Time for you to ask some girls out. Don't do it if you're not ready, though, please. I don't want it. No more PDA. Amen. All right. Thank you. Got to see where I'm at. <laughs> I have like this gigantic paragraph. I don't know why I did that. All right. 
So see if you have this friendship love. Then third, as you develop a friendship, ask yourself if you're growing an affectionate love towards the person. Do you have a deep appreciative love for the person, kind of like you do with a family member? See if you can develop that. And if you do, continue on. All right, we're on this path. So first starts with agape love for God and neighbor. Two, do you have friendship love with someone? Get to know them more. Do you have affectionate love for that person? Like these things should all be happening before this eros love comes. That's why we need to pump the brakes a little bit in our relationship. Because if you're like flooring it on the eros love, guys, you're not going to make it to your wedding night. That's just biology. That's called natural human desire. So don't be flooring it on that eros love, cuddling and all that kind of stuff. I'll get into that more. I'm getting ahead of myself. That's next week, so come ready for that. So fourth thing, do you have romantic love for this person? Do you have eros love for the person? And like I said, we don't want this to come to its fullest expression until our wedding day. So don't have sexual or sexual relations with someone who's not your spouse. So when this eros love is awakened in you for this person, that's when you need to like really, really consider at this point, could I see myself marrying this person? And if the answer is yes, then continue down the path towards marriage. And if you don't want to get married for a long time, then pump the brakes. Don't be even holding hands, in my opinion, because I'm just saying, like, I'm a human being, and if I'm touching a female who I really enjoy, it's going to be hard, like, not to do anything else. So if you don't want to get married for, like, six years, then I just say, stay away from each other as much as you can. Just talk through, like, you know, when you're in the prison, you have the phone across the screen. That's the best way to do it. But if you can get married next year, then you can go a little bit faster. Obviously, just having good boundaries, and we'll talk about those next week. I keep wanting to preach that, because it needs to be said. But anyways... So as you have this romantic love, then the final thing you have to consider is, could I lay down my life for this person each and every day? And then you make a commitment. You say, for better or for worse, baby, sickness and health, I'm committed to you. And then at that point, once you get married, there's no turning back. There's a couple exceptions in the Bible. We won't get into it tonight. But for the most part, there's no turning back. You're committed for life. And when you're not feeling it, sorry, or I'm not going to tell you, go get divorced because you're not feeling it. This is the pathway. So, or so use these four loves. Throw them up on the screen again. Yeah, it's already up there. Good. Or so use these four loves as your guideposts as you pursue marriage. And the beautiful thing about marriage is, is it's the only relationship that is powerful enough to contain all four of these loves. That's why God created a covenant between a man and woman and said, this is binding. Like you become one flesh, as it said in Genesis 2. So that word for one, flesh is a cod. And it means to be fused together at the deepest levels. So if you're going to be in a relationship with someone for a lifetime in marriage, then you need to have all four of these loves. And, and marriage is the only force and only relationship powerful enough to contain all these loves safely. If you try to get all these loves outside of the design that God has set up, then it's not going to end good for you. Because you need the marriage relationship to keep you safe that's why God does what he does. It's always for our good. So the worship team would come up now. We're going to get ready to close here. Before we can ever hope to be ready for dating or marriage, then you need to learn or start to learn. It's not like you figure everything out. I'm not trying to say that because like only the perfect human being could always love with agape love. But what I'm saying is you need to understand God's love for you and it needs to overflow into your life for other people. You need to learn to lay down your life for others. 
Before you want to date or get married, get agape love figured out or start to get it figured out. Take Jesus' Jesus' command seriously to love your neighbor. If you can love your neighbor and you can love your enemies, then you can love your spouse. Choose to make love into an action in your daily life. And then when the timing is right, God will give you an opportunity to enter into a lifelong covenant with someone to lay down your life for them every single day. 1 John 3.16, once again, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to also lay down our lives for the brothers. So the main idea tonight is this. We are designed to love through laying down our life for other people and for some one specific person in the marriage relationship. And I recognize that as we're talking about love tonight, how Jesus laid down his life for us, some of you may have never experienced this godly love. Maybe you have never understood that Jesus stood in your place. He paid your penalty for your sin. Like maybe you have totally blown it in your romantic relationships. Like you've tried to have relationships in all the wrong ways, all the ways that the great designer said no to. Maybe that's you tonight. And you need to know that forgiveness and a relationship with God is available through Jesus, through Jesus' death on the cross. Although each of us were just rebellious against God, we were headed towards hell, doing everything to defy him, it doesn't have to stay that way. We don't have to keep dating poorly. We don't have to keep making the wrong decisions. Boys and girls, both of you, we don't need to keep looking at pornography. Jesus made a way through relationship with him. We talked about this last week. We can't become pure in heart on our own. It's got to be through tasting the love of God. 1 John 3.16, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us. If you want to find purity, if you want to find health in your relationships, then you need to understand God's love for you. So if you're in here tonight, you're hearing all these rules, all these guidelines, all these boundaries, and you don't understand the love of God, I ask you tonight, taste his love and understand that he laid down his life for you. I'm telling you, when you get that, when you get that God has loved you so much, then it's a lot easier to see things in the Bible that, you know, maybe you don't, don't completely agree with at first but then say, Jesus loved me so much that he gave his life for me, then I got to be able to submit to his word because I know he has my best in mind. If Jesus would die on the cross for me, then I think his rules and his boundaries are for my good. So I ask you tonight, taste the love of God and be someone that's been so transformed by his love that it changes everything about you. It changes the way you date. It changes the way you treat people. It changes the way you think. It changes the things you believe in. Guys, my prayer for our group is that each of us would be people who are so transformed by God that just whatever this word says, say, I want to submit. That's my prayer. Every week I talk about it. Every week. So although this can be a hard topic for some, and I just want to say to you, if you've been doing love the wrong way or in a way that the Bible says is wrong, this is not a place where you're going to get stones thrown at you. This is not a place where that's going to happen. It's a place where we will continue to point you to the love of God and say he has a better way. But along the journey, we'll be with you. We'll be your friend. We'll be just by your side. We're not going to condemn you. We're just going to keep pointing you to Jesus. I pray that you would get that tonight. This is a safe place. But as a preacher of the gospel, I'm never going to twist this word. And I hope you'll thank me for that. Because you don't want me to twist the word of God. So tonight, if you don't know Jesus, I pray that you would put your faith in him and, and just allow his love to transform everything about you. And if you're in this room and you're a Christian, but you haven't been loving the way that God has called you to love, where you haven't honored God in your relationships,
And forgiveness is available to you too, okay? Christians, you don't have to have everything figured out. Or it's not like you have to be perfect because you're a Christian now. Forgiveness is available tonight. And for those of you in this room who have a boyfriend or girlfriend or, or maybe you're just kind of messing around with people and you're doing stuff that you shouldn't be doing, I pray tonight that you would repent because Jesus is merciful. It says we have a great high priest who's able to sympathize with our weaknesses. I pray that you would know that that is the God we serve and tonight you would sit at his feet and say, Jesus, I accept your forgiveness. Stop, stop hardening your heart so you can continue to have or to do those things that God has called you not to do. Soften your heart tonight and allow God to transform you from the inside out. You guys would stand with me. Tonight, God is calling us to love like Jesus, to love with the love of God. Before we can, or can ever hope to dive into dating or marriage, we need to get agape love figured out. We need to love like Jesus. We need to make love into more than a feeling. Sing the song, more than a feeling. I don't remember how it goes. But guys, we need to make it into more than a feeling, but an action of self-sacrifice. And I'm telling you, when a group of people start to sacrifice themselves for other people on our campus, it's going to change our campus. Guys, come on. When we stop making excuses, the call of Jesus on each Christian's life is to make disciples. But discipleship takes hard work. It takes time. It takes patience. There's so many times, guys, like where I get discouraged because I'm trying to disciple someone and they're not getting it. It takes time. It takes the call to lay down your life. But I pray that a group of students like you would say, hey, I'm going to lay down my life and make disciples. Like I'm going to stop making excuses saying I have homework or I'm tired or I don't want to have the, or go meet with that person. I pray that as a group we'd say we're going to lay down our lives for others because Jesus laid down his life for us. And when we start to make, or take discipleship seriously, the new people will be coming here every single week finding Jesus because you are going after them. Guys, we need to go after them. We can't just expect them to come to us. I'm fired up from the, or from the winter retreat, so I had to throw that in there. It doesn't have a whole lot to do with or dating and romance. But I'm telling you, it's important. Let's make disciples. You guys would bow your heads and close your eyes. Let's be a group who honors God in our romantic relationships and refuses to be unequally yoked with people who aren't believers and refuses to, to allow impurity into our relationships. Jesus is calling us to experience his agape love and to respond to it by laying down our desires and by pursuing him. So if you're in this room tonight and you want to put your faith in Jesus, if you want to have a relationship with God that's made available through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, if that's you and tonight you want to put your faith in him, just raise your hand right now. It's just between you and God. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Tons of hands going up. You guys will put your hands down. We'll pray for you in a second. And the second group of us, if you're in this room and you're a Christian, but if you're honest, you haven't been loving the way that God has called you to love, or you have been loving a little too much in your relationships, if you know what I'm saying. That's you tonight. Just raise your hands between you and God. There's tons of hands going up. Guys, we're in this together. God sees those hands. You just put them down. All right, so first I'm going to pray for those of you who want to put your faith in Jesus. Just pray along in your heart as I pray. Just a prayer of surrender and of asking Jesus to come into our hearts. Jesus, we pray tonight that you would change our hearts. God, we ask you to forgive us for all of our sins. We know that on the cross you paid our debt. You bridged the gap between us and you. God, tonight we pray that you would come into our hearts, you would transform our hearts, and we would just have an intimate relationship with you. Save us from our sins, Lord. 
And for the other group of us, we just pray tonight that you would call us and lead us to love like you loved us, God. I pray that each of us would be representatives of your love on the campus as we lay down our lives for our neighbor. God, we also pray for those of us who have just been totally blowing it in our romantic relationships or in personal purity. Tonight, God, we just ask for forgiveness and we ask for a chance to make it right. God, show us the way forward. Show us the, or the hard decisions we have to make. God, we love you so much. We pray all this in your name. Amen.